0: Hey, Steph, it's Fabio. Um, Calling you back here because, you know, your voicemail kind of cut me off there. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: Anyway, I was wondering if you had any plans uh, next Saturday, you know. um, I was wondering if you would want to grab a slice of of
0: (laughs) pizza, you know. <laughs> um. <coughs> uh. <laughs> Just swallowed my gum
1: there. Um. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you. Uh. Anyway, yeah, are you free on uh, Saturday? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> All right, call me back.
2: Bye. It's Fabio.
3: Welcome back to the Townies Podcast, where we present original stories and a glimpse into the creative lives of the real people who wrote them. Thank you, Fabio Loretta, for calling in at the top of the show. As always, I am your host, Kim Maxwell, and the stories you're about to hear were developed in my writing and performance workshop in Ventura County, California. Our first guest is my dear friend and student, Sarah Hardigan, who you may know from other episodes of the podcast.
4: It has been 15 minutes and no response. What is going on? Oh, fuck, it was the puppet talk. He thinks I'm really into puppets. I have to tell him I'm joking, but I just sent four texts in a row. This might be it. RIP kissing goats and cute little black dogs. I'm going to be single forever. It doesn't matter at this point. Fuck it. I send the fourth text. I'm joking. Puppets creep me out. Send. It worked! He responds with drop of sweat. Sigh of relief emoji in the words. Then we are still on.
3: This is the first time that we have gotten to have you in for an interview, Miss Sarah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank
4: you for having me. This is great. <laughs> I feel like I need to be really excited. I am excited, but it's weird to be excited into a microphone.
3: It is weird. Yeah. Yeah, try not to spit.
4: I'm trying not to. (laughs) Now I feel like people think I spit when I said that. I didn't spit. Kim is just uh, joking.
3: (laughs) So you have actually been writing for a long time. When did you start? When did I
4: start writing? Um... (sighs) Probably when I learned how to write. I don't know what Mm -hmm. grade is that. Uh, Maybe when do you learn how to write? Like first, second grade? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I do remember the first time I remember um, sort of being told that I can write. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in terms of, um, wow, you have a writing ability. Mm -hmm. is sort of hilarious. I won um, a dare contest. Like, they were like, write about why drugs are bad. <laughs> and I don't know what I wrote, <laughs> but I was shocked when I won and had to read it in front of everybody.
3: Oh. Yeah. So that was your catalyst?
4: It was, um,
3: I guess, a, yeah, a I Nancy was like, Reagan oh, I kind guess of they a... think I can write. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so you actually now, though, write for a living. I do, yeah. Why a writing class, then?
4: ah <sighs> because um work is work and mm-hmm. for me i work at patagonia mm-hmm. it's a great company mm-hmm. i really believe in what they're doing and it's one of those rare places that um they are actually doing what they're they say they're doing mm-hmm. so i'm not really spinning yarn so to speak mm-hmm. that said um you know writing for work as an editor writer for a company you're, You're never in your own voice. You're Mm -hmm. always sort of um, in this company voice. Mm -hmm. So uh, I love comedy writing. I love Mm -hmm. storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, I love, you know, as well the deeper stuff. And I think... If you don't do enough of that, you sort of, you start to lose your own voice. And Mm -hmm. that's, I think, the scariest space to be in Mm -hmm. is when you can't hear yourself. Hmm.
3: And how do you keep your personal writing separate from your work writing? How do you stay fresh and inspired?
4: That's a good question. (laughs)
3: Um,
4: Well, I think a lot of, you know, creative advice is to add structure to your life. So make sure you get up every morning
2: mm-hmm.
4: and write for 10 minutes mm-hmm. because it's all about consistency.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: I don't ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been able to get myself to do that. I love mm-hmm. to talk about doing it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm. you know what, next week...
2: I'm going to mm-hmm. start
4: juicing celery and writing for 10 minutes every morning. Mm-hmm. It never happens. But, um,
3: <laughs> and so that's sort of why class also?
4: Yeah. So <laughs> I do have to commit to some kind of you know, class or writing group or something that forces me to go to a place
2: mm-hmm.
4: once a week, that I, the place I said I would go to and other people are waiting for me at mm-hmm. to do the thing I said I was going to do. Otherwise, I can talk myself out of it because nobody's depending on me to do anything like that, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, I wish I was stronger than that, but (laughs) I tend to write in odd spaces. So Hmm. I'll write in the notes section of my phone, Hmm. in a bathroom, at, you know, a restaurant, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or... In my car after a drive, because I was thinking about hmm. some things, or after a run, or my favorite place to just write an entire piece is in the closet at your studio. <laughs> I always have to have my closet time. It's usually two two days before a performance. I have most nothing.
3: People, most people recommend coming out of the closet, not seeking it <laughs> out to... I need
4: the closet. I need my closet time. I need that pressure. Deadlines Mm -hmm. help me a lot.
3: Good. Deadlines are your friend then. Uh, Well, what tools do you turn to when you get stuck or you're tired or you're feeling like you have run out of words?
4: (sighs) That's a good question. (laughs) What do I do when I think I've... (laughs) Um, I usually come ask you if I'm a writer. (laughs) Kim, am I a writer? I don't think I'm a writer. I'm pretty sure I've been faking it this whole time and everyone's going to find out this time. I know they'll find out. And then you say, you're a writer or (laughs) you actually, usually you say, if you didn't have these feelings, then you probably, then you aren't a writer. I don't know how to explain I'm not explaining that very well, but
3: that's pretty close. I mean, you can't really have art without doubt, and so unless you unless you doubt yourself, then how are you really pushing the envelope? Are you really seeking like that level of work that's higher or outside of your grasp, that leap outside of what you already know how to do or say? Mm-hmm. so and you're very brave that way. You lean into your doubt real hard,
4: yeah, I usually start with a big spoonful of doubt. <laughs>
3: Sure, so the opposite and of I Mary w- Poppins. You're sort of a spoonful of sugar. <laughs> spoonful you're like. A <laughs> spoonful of doubt helps
4: self hatred go down.
3: <laughs> so I know also, because I've known you for such a long time now, that nature and hiking and climbing is a very huge part of how your feet are tethered to the planet. Mm -hmm. where does your affinity for nature and your artistic process collide or overlap or how do they feed each other? Um, you know, I was raised
4: outside. So my Mm -hmm. dad was a big climber. Um, he taught me how to climb when I was like four Mm -hmm. and, uh, I used to be on a search and rescue team, mm-hmm. but I always saw this comedy, stand-up sort of storytelling separate from my outside self. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, recently, I I see how they're integrated, mm-hmm. but I kind of always felt like two different people. When mm-hmm. my dad was uh, teaching me about climbing. I remember he... Would be belaying me, which is like having me on a rope, mm-hmm. and I'd be climbing, and he'd tell me to fall.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you know, part way up, he's like, "Fall!" I'm like, oh, "I don't want." To. He's like, "Just fall." I'd fall, and he'd be like, "See, I got you. You can mm-hmm. try. You can, you can stretch yourself outside your limits. I'll mm-hmm. catch you." And I think that's sort of what we have support networks for, like whether it be friends or family or Mm -hmm. both. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's where you can, I think that's what gives me courage usually to try comedy or Hmm. um, stretch outside of what I feel comfortable doing because I know it's okay to fall. CHAPTER ONE, MESSAGING. I haven't met him yet. I know a handful of things from his dating profile. He has kind eyes and a small black dog. One time, he kissed a baby goat, and he doesn't like couch potatoes. (laughs) However, it's possible that he likes those things separately, in fact, highly likely. Most people like sitting on couches and at least one form of potato. I have not asked him that yet. (laughs) Right before the first date, we exchanged messages on Bumble. Him. You're an insult comic, aren't you? Two question marks to emphasize the importance of this question, plus a grimace emoji to emote lighthearted concern.
2: <laughs> and, and
4: then he adds, just wondering if I should prepare myself. Me, no, not even close. The opposite, I add three emojis at the end because I am confident but not cocky. Rainbow, red heart, stars, send. (laughs) Shit, it was probably too soon for the red heart emoji. I haven't even met him yet. Now I'm in too serious, too soon town. I'll fix it with the nerd emoji, send. Send. Uh uh, that was two texts in a row. Now I'm sweating. (laughs) He responds So you're a kind, nerdy prop comic? I'm feeling confident again because he called me a comic. I text him back, oh yeah, a prop comic. I use props, actually puppets, for my comedy insults. So they're not actually coming from me. It's a very Californian way to insult people. LOL, send. (laughs) Why did I say LOL? I'm not laughing out loud. Now it looks like I really have insult puppets and I'm maniacally laughing to myself alone in my room. I I need to drive home the joke. I'll send one more text. JK, I meant M-P-A-L-O-L. My puppets are (laughs) laughing out loud. Send. (laughs) That should do the trick. It has been ten minutes he isn't texting back 10 fucking minutes he was just talking to me maybe he's pooping some people don't text him poop I appreciate those people maybe a bowel movement got in the way of his vowel movement that's funny, maybe I should text him that no I should not text him that Audrey said no jokes before meeting people my jokes are not for the online part of dating it has been 15 minutes. Minutes and no response. What is going on? Oh, fuck, it was the puppet talk. He thinks I'm really into puppets. I have to tell him I'm joking, but I just sent four texts in a row. This might be it. RIP kissing goats and cute little black dogs. I'm gonna be single forever. It doesn't matter at this point. Fuck it. I send the fourth text. I'm joking. Puppets creep me out. Send. It worked, he responds with drop of sweat, sigh of relief emoji in the words, then we are still on. (laughs) Chapter two, getting ready. The big decision. Do I shave my giant 1970s style bush off? Look at my head hair and then use your imagination to transfer the amount and thickness to down here. I am not exaggerating. I full-on 100% support anyone who rocks a giant bush and feels good with it. However, I am not comfortable with my giant bush, so I grow it all the way out and call it George W. Protection Bush. Let me clear this something up. That's junior because senior is insensitive, and this bush is not dead. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I wrote that he died, okay? (laughs) This has been rocking for a while. Um, Your Dick Cheney won't get anywhere near my George W. protection bush, even if they're working in the Oval Office together. They won't touch. It's physically impossible. Like trying to crawl through those giant English hedges. It me from making rash decisions on first dates. I'm leaving George W. Protection Bush as is. No trimming. Makeup. Make it look like I'm not wearing makeup, but that I'm a naturally dewy, shimmery angel from heaven. <laughs> Highlighter. Blush. Highlighter. Blush. Powder. Wash them off. Eyeliner. Nope, not going to try that. Eyeshadow applied with my finger... Why is my eyeshadow scented? It smells like a fresh baked co- cookie. Who is thinking about eyelid smell? Maybe it's for him. Maybe he will smell my fresh baked cookie eyelids tonight and think of the cookies his mother used to make him as a boy. Maybe it triggers some fond childhood feeling that then triggers attachment. Maybe he will fall in love with me and my cookie eyelids. Genius, I lay it on thick. Protection bush, check. Cookie scented eyeshadow, check. I'm ready. Chapter three, how did I get here? We are wine drunk because my best friend works at a winery and I took my date there to get him a little sauced, but we had too much sauce and now we are in my bed trying to sleep it off. My sweatpants are double knotted for his protection from me, not my protection from him. And George W. Protection Bush is still rocking his best life downstairs. We just had what might have been the best date of my entire life. You know in rom-coms when they do a montage of the rom-com couple in different positions, chatting and gazing and laughing and losing track of time, and the -the over-the-top cheesiness of the scene makes you want to throw up a little in your mouth, and it tastes like a mixture of popcorn and soda, or maybe like tomato sauce, but you haven't had any pasta recently? (laughs) The date was that good. Like the scene in the rom-com, not the throwing up part. But now I'm here in my room with him because I got us drunk and he can't drive, and I'm trying really, really hard not to fall asleep and ruin this whole thing. And although puppet jokes didn't kill my chances, night terrors will certainly get the job done. (laughs) I've done this cute thing since I was a kid where I launch out of bed and yell something weird and then conk out again and I don't remember any of it. I've tried everything to stop myself from screaming weird shit in my sleep. I've tried neurofeedback, melatonin, tea for sleep, a special strain of marijuana for dreaming called Luke Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) Little pink pills, meditation, listening to food podcasts while I fall asleep. Nothing works. It's 2 a.m., and he's lightly snoring in, like, a really, really cute way. He's so cute, but I am terrified of dozing off and saying something fucking crazy in my sleep. <laughs> Here are the exact things that my sleep-talking app recorded me doing the night before he slept over. 11.22 p.m. Oh,
2: my God! He took out my
4: wall. <laughs> and I really was- 12:40 a.m. Hey, hey, where is the baby?
2: <laughs> 1 a.m. Why doesn't anyone like anything I'm
4: doing? I can't fall asleep. <laughs> Who knows what the hell I'll do? I'll just keep moving my foot. That will keep me awake. Will he, I'm moving my foot. Will he notice me moving my foot? It's 6 a.m. and he's opening his eyes and smiling like a pretty princess. I made
2: it. Didn't fall asleep. <laughs>
4: Chapter 4. Gross. I want to do stuff with you and that grosses me out. No, not that kind of stuff. Like I have this sudden urge to spend an hour with you in the cheese aisle at Trader Joe's. In this daydream, I would open one of the grated cheese bags and sprinkle cheese on your head. Now you're a baked potato, I would say, but not a couch potato. (laughs)
2: Love
4: is not funny. (laughs) I feel sick. I called your dog an angel puff from heaven. Who says that? I do now in a weird voice I didn't know I have. I ask your dog if she's an angel puff from heaven and then I answer my own question with yes
2: <laughs>
4: we held hands in the coffee line waiting to order our coffee I feel nauseous the other day we did acro yoga in your living room we were doing it ironically making fun of couples that do that couple stuff and then I seriously thought acro yoga could be something fun to do together <laughs> I'm thinking could be fun to do together thoughts that's something I do now what is wrong with me We fell asleep cuddling the other night and I didn't want to slap your hot ass breath away from my face. I'm okay breathing your breath. What is happening? I want you to know that I don't take my probiotics at night when you stay over because I'm afraid I will fart on you in my sleep while we are spooning. I get constipated for you. Jesus. I shave George W. for you every single day. That is commitment. I made you dinner. I don't make dinner. It took me six months to get silverware and I still usually eat with my hands. Is this what love feels like or do I just have to poop? (laughs) Chapter five, meet my parents. My dad knew this day was coming, and he's been training for it since I was born. All fathers do. They start reading manuals. When you're young, they get degrees in dad jokes from Ventura College. They meet once a week at the Women's Center in Ojai and learn how to fart extra loud. So when the time comes, they're ready. And the more you like the person you're introducing them to, the more embarrassing they get. They can smell it on you. Smells like she's close to love. Pull out all the stops. Bring in reinforcement dads. Pay for consultants. It's showtime. From this point on, my father will be referred to as the defendant because he is now on trial for being the most embarrassing dad ever. The defendant is facing three allegations with the possibility of a lifetime in silent treatment. Exhibit A, Unnecessary Emotional Distress he didn't wear his tooth for his first time meeting my new boyfriend. And he smiled extra widely, so said tooth hole was extremely visible as my new boyfriend approached the front door to shake his hand. He was also waving in a weird, frantic way. When I said, he normally has a tooth to help smooth the situation, the defendant replied, screw that fake tooth, it hurts too much, plus it's kind of fun sucking beer through the gap. (laughs) 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 Exhibit B, fraud. The defendant decided to start the getting to know you conversation off with, so you're a nurse, right? I think there should be more options on medical forms where they ask you how much alcohol you drink a week, Six, more like a six-pack a night. Am I right or am I right? It's important to note that the defendant does not drink that much, but he was actively trying to position himself as a toothless alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) Exhibit C, vulgarity and breach of terms. The defendant called me my new boyfriend, and my friend Emily, cocksuckers. (laughs) The term cocksucker was acquired during the defendant's obsession with the HBO series Deadwood. This is what the defendant said verbatim in the late afternoon of the same day as we were packing our bags after climbing together. Hurry up, you cocksuckers. My tooth socket is getting cold. (laughs) Not only was that statement highly inappropriate, but he also broke a legally binding agreement that was signed by him over a year ago, which states, and I quote, the term cocksucker will never be used by me, Sarah's father, ever again. I will not shout it at the grocery store when asking if they want almond milk or regular milk. Cocksucker will not be used when referring to the dog, even when he did chew something up. The term will not be used, not for cheap laughs, not ever. The jury is still out on whether I will ever speak to the defendant again. <laughs> he's over there. <laughs> so, you know, he's not wearing his tooth either. <laughs> so, for you guys, I asked him not to. Okay. <laughs> Epilogue Serious talk. I wish I could do the opposite of what Peter Pan did and actually unsew my shadow. Put it in a box and keep it away from love so it stays dark and weird. In some ways, I wish I could remain the same, single. Because then I wouldn't have to give you my heart to to possibly eventually stamp out like a lit cigarette. But I'm falling and it's becoming increasingly clear that this is worth the risk.
3: Match was written and performed by Sarah Hardigan in November 2018. So this piece, Match, for me, is about more than dating. What is it about for you? Um,
4: <clears throat> for me, it's I guess it's about taking
2: risks. Mm-hmm.
4: I think um, we all are so afraid to get hurt again mm-hmm. that sometimes um, we start kind of slowly closing up. And uh, there's this great poem by Oriah Mountain Dreamer called The Invitation.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And um, she talks a lot about not being afraid to, to lose again. Or um, I think she says not being shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I think it's worth it just to jump in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that uh, this piece was for me both telling myself that and telling other people that. Mm-hmm. Because I think what I've been hearing a lot from people out there that are dating is they're looking for the magic... Um, you know, well, I guess sort of like a a key <laughs> they're trying to f- to f- figure out the puzzle so mm-hmm. that that the pain that they went through in past relationships, maybe it validates it or makes it worth it because they got the key they figured the maze out before,
2: mm-hmm.
4: and now they're in this space of. Well, now that I have the key, I ho- I hold all the answers,
2: mm-hmm.
4: I'm never going to get hurt again. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'll know next time. Yeah. I'll see all the red flags. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm figuring out that that's so, it's not possible.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: We're just all so different. There's no key. There's no special answer. There's no book that's going to make sure that you don't get hurt again. I think for me, this piece was kind of about embracing the hurt. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of beauty in that.
3: Yeah. There you know? absolutely is. I also know that you are a little bit on the introverted side. When did expressing your writing on the page transition into you putting yourself up in front of an audience?
4: Um, I used to take classes. Well, I used to be in a writing group. Mm-hmm. And we did a few shows mm-hmm. together, and that was kind of the beginning of that. But I will say that during that time, I was more comfortable with with doing serious stuff. And for me, serious stuff is anything about my outdoor self, because mm-hmm. that's kind of like climbing a mountain or mm-hmm. very grounded experiences.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
4: uh, and I think with that stuff, you don't know how people are feeling when they're listening to that. You can kind of guess, oh, everyone seems quiet. They're really listening, but that's mm-hmm. about it. Comedy was terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, the first comedy piece I ever did was in the first class I took with you. Mm-hmm. And I started that when I decided to take that class. I had this thought, I'm going to try comedy because that's the scariest thing I can think of.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Because with comedy, you know whatever, you, you're you getting immediate feedback and, you've, and you have to roll with it. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, that wasn't funny. Nobody <laughs> laughed. Let's go. Let's keep going. I'm up here. They're watching my facial expressions. Mm-hmm. They are looking at me. Experiencing this in
3: real time. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: So what creative words of support would you say to maybe an introvert, maybe someone afraid to pick up a pen? What would you say? I would say sometimes
4: being an introvert is your greatest gift because it allows you a lot of time to sort of go inside and whether that be at a party that you're just sort of I'm I feel like I'm kind of both. I can get into being an extrovert, but then I can go back into being an introvert. I sort of ride that line, but mm-hmm. it gives you a little time to go back in and and I think being <laughs> being extroverted about your introvertedness mm. will only help you feel more connected if you want to mm-hmm. you don't have to nobody has to do anything like that but but it but it helps because you're like oh there are other introverts out there and they feel weird just like I feel weird and mm-hmm. and you you sort of you find these communities of of people feeling the same way as you're feeling. Hmm. And, um, and I think celebrating who you are through writing or performance or you know anything you wanna do, like maybe it's just standing on the sidewalk and, and dancing for cars mm-hmm. <laughs> will, will only bring you c- closer to that feeling of, of being alive, I guess.
3: Well, Miss Sarah, it's always lovely to be across from your beautiful words. Thank you. No, uh, thanks for coming in today, honey. Thank you for having me. I love you, buckets. I love you too. <laughs> Woohoo!
5: That's a wrap. Nicely done, Sarah. Hardigan. again. <laughs> well, I can't breathe. Hey Townies, it's your producer Lily Brown here coming at you live. Um, Please join us this summer in Monte Castello di Vibio, which is in Umbria, Italy. We're doing our first Townies workshop abroad. I have been brushing up on my Italian. Io sono una mela. I am an apple. You're going to use that often. (laughs) È un uccello. It is a bird. La mosca è nel bicchiere. The fly is in the glass. (laughs) 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 I hope you'll join us. It's going to be a blast. We're going to be doing two weeks of writing and performance workshop stuff, drinking wine, eating all the food, and it's going to be super fun. Uh, We're going to do a performance in a 400-year-old recently restored opera house, June 30th to July 15th. Learn more information at kimmaxwellstudio.com slash retreats. (laughs) I have a strawberry.
0: (laughs) The song Love is Driving came to be in about 1989 or so when one of the Mr. Wrongs I was after got a vintage beat-up white pickup truck. Now, I'm an Iowa girl, and that spells romance to me. He was an artist, and I went home and naturally started a song that involved my escape route, from Silver Lake at the time, which was the Angeles Crest Highway. That got me out of town in about 25 minutes flat, up the curvy hills into the mountains where the dry Southern California air became different. Sometimes the drought would turn into a hopeful sprinkle of rain. I got done with writing the entire sexy song and thought, Who's driving? Well, love is driving. Love is always driving. Thanks for listening, and thank you, townies.
3: that was Julie Christensen with the title track from her album, Love is Driving. Next up, and our final guest today, is the absolutely wonderful and talented Lacey Chifflette.
1: They're humans too, and they'd probably understand that you're just nervous because <laughs> they probably are too, and they'd probably understand that you just spent your whole summer in a history class and maybe you don't feel. Like you don't know, I mean, you don't know how to talk to people anymore. Because <laughs> you just write in essay form now, and you feel like you need three points of evidence to make your fucking
3: point. Yep, <coughs> wrong one.
5: Hi, Lacy. Hello, Lacy.
3: Come on in, my love. <sighs> Hello, friend. How are you? Have you met Ken Arrows yet? This is Lacey. Lacey's also a very talented musician. He plays in Grace's band in Taos. Oh, that's cool. Great, great music. Yeah, I really like it. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you, Kim. (laughs) It's nice to see you. (laughs) Nice to see you, too. If I remember correctly, you came to the teen class with the specific purpose of wanting to pursue stand-up comedy. Yeah, that's right. Did you feel like you've gotten to explore that within the context of storytelling? Yeah,
1: I do. I I feel like although I don't spend a lot of time writing stand-up when I'm outside of class, Mm -hmm. I feel like I have a lot of opportunity in class to, you know, it sparks kind of ideas for me and then I go home and write more material and then I come back and... I feel like I can do that. Even if I don't write stand-up for the class, I feel mm-hmm. like I have that opportunity.
3: And did writing in more of a storytelling form open up anything else for you in terms of your artistic process?
1: Well, I feel like the storytelling techniques you know that you give us I I think that it helps in all sorts of things. And I think it especially helps, you know, in the stand-up comedy, I feel like you're still supposed to tell a story even if you're just thinking Mm -hmm. you're just telling a joke or I guess the one-liners may have a different opinion about it, but Mm -hmm. I like the storytelling kind of approach to it. Mm -hmm. And so I think, and also in regular life, like telling stories to people it really actually has helped mm-hmm. me do that
3: so is there someone or something that you turn to for inspiration when your bucket so to speak is empty and you are feeling tired burned out maybe less than at your best
1: um well i i tend to watch a lot of stand up and think mm-hmm. about like how what they're what those comedians are doing and then once I realize that doesn't help me at all because <laughs> um then I just start writing jokes that are almost the same as them I go hang mm. out with my friend mm-hmm. and make a bunch of stupid jokes and then I come back and write something um that just comes to me after hanging out with him mm. um so that that I guess that's my 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 main process I I sit down and do something I think will help me and then it doesn't, and then I do something that doesn't help that I think
3: doesn't help me and then it does. Hmm. So <laughs> Um, I know you're also a musician. How many instruments do you play by the way? I play
1: only two mainly. I, 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 I like I pick up others. Sometimes I
2: mm-hmm. kind
1: of play the trumpet, but I mainly play violin
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then mandolin, mm-hmm. which is Tuned the same way, so it's very easy for me to just play.
3: That's technically two more instruments than I play, so I'm <laughs> very impressed. Um, Thank you. How does music help you in this process? Like, does it inform you when you get to a place where you have writer's block or you hit that wall?
1: Um, I think it might. You know, music helps me express the creativity in a lot of ways, but I don't write music. Mm-hmm. So my, my music is mostly, you know, playing jazz charts and then improvising mm-hmm. and then playing, you know, in pop bands or whatever, I play parts mm-hmm. that I write or I don't write. And then, mm-hmm. so it's not a lot of, like, there's not a lot of writing music to apply, though I do mm-hmm. write some music. I just it. I don't know if it has a lot of crossover, except for the general creative expression.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, what stand-up comedians and what musicians inspire you and make you go, "Wow, holy!" shit
1: well I'll just start off immediately with musicians uh, Stefan Grappelli mm-hmm. Django Reinhardt's violinist mm-hmm. is amazing and I could just talk about him forever uh, mm-hmm. he like he makes like he's so impressive because he, he made jazz something you could do on violin
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the like early 1900's and that's amazing like, mm-hmm. and then everyone forgot about him and no one cares about jazz violin anymore but but you do whatever I do (laughs) and then comedians um I like Mike Mike Berbigley a lot Mm -hmm. he's my favorite comedian I think then there are a lot of comedians that um are horrible people and and they have amazing jokes and that makes me feel horrible about myself (laughs) but um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Mike Viglia as my go to <laughs> comedian.
3: Is there an exercise or process or a fountain of anti writers' block that you use when you hit the wall?
1: I usually go on a run, really yeah, um I go on a run and mm-hmm. then I come back and um, maybe I don't start writing immediately, but i I like you know it it gets me my blood flowing or whatever, and it, it helps a lot. Mm. And even just, uh, if I'm sitting down and like in the, you know, in the studio at Kim Maxwell studio, I, <laughs> <laughs> nice plug. Um, I'll, you know, I'll get up and go outside and mm-hmm. run back and forth and come back and it helps a lot.
3: Oh, that's right. I have seen you running around the parking lot. Mm-hmm. I thought you were just, you know, I don't know what I thought you were doing. I might've been messing around and
1: procrastinating, but I might have also been <laughs> but I've also been trying to get the blood flowing.
3: Okay. That, <laughs> that entirely makes sense to me. Uh, your material, like every single piece you write, is always so inquisitive, as in you ask a lot of open-ended questions of the audience and of society in general. Why questions?
1: Because I don't like people to think I'm preaching at them
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and though anyone can immediately from if they sit down and listen to one of my pieces they can immediately find out where I stand on the political spectrum probably Mm -hmm. but I like for I like for my if I'm asking more existential or whatever questions I want them to be or inquisitive Questions. I want them to be something that anyone can grab onto and say, how does that relate to me?
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. when I want to ask something like, why is society so messed up in this particular way? I don't want people to, like. I don't want half the room to go like, oh, well, he's just talking about liberals or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't apply to me because it does apply to, I'm trying to make it apply to you in a way that I'm asking a question that you should be able to answer. Anyone should be able to answer.
2: Hmm.
3: And with almost everything in our culture sort of encouraging us to um, not question authority or ourselves, um, how do you stay curious?
1: I read a lot of uh, behavioral economics books and psychology. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a very similar sort of thing.
3: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so it's those books really spark me and and classes that I'm in really spark me to think about like I'm reading this book and it's talking about how the way we see people um changes like the way we'll act ourselves and how like so we'll we'll grow up in a society and we'll adopt whatever thing the society does and kids can pick up, like, at month four or whatever of their life. They can pick up on social status.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that idea alone is, like, so fascinating to me. I want to know why people do that. And so that's how I stay curious. I I want to know why people do things.
3: You followed that rabbit down the hole? <laughs> yeah. What other classes do you take?
1: I'm in... Um, Right now, I'm only in um, chemistry, intro to chemistry, and music theory, and ear training.
3: And what training?
1: Ear training. So it's like they play some notes, and then you're like, that's what note that is. Oh, I
3: thought they were like exercises for your ears, you know, so they don't like droop (laughs) Well, your shoulders. (laughs) Kind of, (laughs) in a sense. I'm expecting my invitation to the Berklee School of Music any Uh, moment now, by the way. Hell Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, those are cool shoes. Uh, uh, do you wanna maybe, oh, you thrifted them? Sick. Uh, oh yeah, I was just gonna ask if you were interested in uh, American history. I'm taking this American history class and I've been kind of surveying people's perception of freedom America kind of mocks the idea of freedom. We change the definition a lot. Uh, the word freedom is kind of a subjective word and it's treated objectively, which is stupid. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I, I really, I guess I should ask people's political views before I ramble on like this. I should get to this survey anyway. How do you feel about the 2016 election? Oh, yeah, cool. Feel the burn. <laughs> what do you think should be done with minimum wages? Okay, yeah, cool. Good thing we live in California, right? I went to this economics camp last year, and they were talking about how BS minimum wage is, and their arguments were honestly, like, so convincing, and I could totally see their point of view. Um, they They talked about how minimum wage would ultimately... Harm uh, it would ultimately harm entry-level employment because employers can't afford to hire. And I don't agree with this necessarily, but you know I'm not an economist. I, it's just interesting the different views, the value systems people have when approaching freedom. Like no one would make that argument in my political circle. So like, freedom. Is different depending on who you are and what you believe. I feel like freedom is the ability to walk around without being persecuted, and to practice whatever religion, and participate in government, and all that good stuff we associate with democracy and in the Enlightenment and all that stuff. Are you, are you sure I'm not rambling? I feel like you haven't said anything, and and. Uh, you know, I have to get this data for my survey. Oh, really? Okay. I just feel like, after studying so goddamn much, that America is definitely very hypocritical. <laughs> and the way we squash rebellions and, uh, in countries like South and... Or, not countries. In South and Central America. That makes me seem like an American. Um... <laughs> which are just looking to establish the, de, you know, freedoms and democracies that we claim to be so good at. And, like, we just, because we own land there, isn't that whack? <laughs> I don't know, I don't mean to push my values on you, or anything like that. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, maybe they're not ready for democracy, they say kind of a hollow claim. I just wish that America was what it claimed to be. And I know it's not all bad. We're not killed in masses or anything like that. I just wish that people could walk around without being nervous. And (laughs) we could just talk about, we just could talk to people and we could walk around with being nervous, without being nervous. And we could just talk to people and it would be fine because they're humans too and they'd probably understand that you're just nervous because <laughs> they probably are too and they'd probably understand that you just spent your whole summer in a history class and maybe you don't feel like, you know, maybe you don't know how to talk to people anymore <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> because you just write an essay form now and you feel like you need three points of evidence to make your fucking point. And I bet you don't even need evidence to make your point. But maybe you just say how you feel and you don't spew random facts about FDR and the New Deal. Because opinions tell a story and you got to relax into the story and I bet your story just comes right into your fucking lap
2: because
1: you're so relaxed but that can be hard sometimes when there's that nice safety net of evidence that you can just relax into and uh, do you want to go to dinner? <laughs>
3: Three Points of Evidence was written and performed by Lacey Chifflet in August 2018. And here's the part of the episode where we give you, our audience, a prompt so that you might take part in the writing process along with us. In a second, I'll give you a prompt and then you take it from there. Put pen to paper or fingers to keys and write for five minutes or more if you want. Without editing yourself, just write and write and write. Today's prompt I want you to write a love letter, a totally effusive, gushing, over the top, crazy in love, adjective laden, Jane Austen esque love letter to yourself. And there you have it. Oh, and don't forget to title and save whatever you write today. Your mom and your sister are kicking butt in class.
1: Oh, I hear that. Yeah, they come. They came back the first week, and they were like, "Wow, now oh, we really respect you."
2: <laughs> we used to think you were a piece of shit.
3: So this piece, which is wonderful, by the way, um, and super awkward. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it came about over. Um, an incredibly tense year of school, followed by an incredibly intense summer of school, culminating in the pressure cooker of the Ohio Playwrights Conference Youth Workshop, mm-hmm. a, sort of ten, a sort of week-long version of my 10-week workshop. Did you, so it was the summer of tension, so to speak, I'm going to guess. Did you arrive at the intensive knowing that this was what you wanted to write about?
1: absolutely not.
3: Hmm.
1: I well, how many days was that? It was like 7 5 or 7 days. Mm-hmm. In in those like 7 days, I thought I I thought I finished my piece five times. <laughs> and I would like go and rip apart my piece and put it back together and think, "Oh, this is this is what I'm writing now." And then mm-hmm. I'd throw it away and do it again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I had thought like as any other time I would write something that resembles stand up and maybe people you know people laughed but it's it was different for me and so no I I didn't I didn't know I was going to write that um but it came about just cuz I couldn't handle what was happening to me at that time <laughs> Yeah.
3: What were the catalysts within the class that made you want to tear it apart and rewrite it? Was it that their were parts weren't working, or were you hearing new information from other people, other writers?
1: I think I was hearing stuff from from people I was talking to you know I would bring my piece to someone and they'd say, "This is great um but then how do you like who are you talking to or whatever, or who <laughs> are you?" like what is this really about and i really didn't know so then you know first time after on the third day i threw that piece away and thought <laughs> you know it's i need to figure out what i want to address here and so i thought since i'd spent like i like drove to santa barbara every day that
2: mm-hmm.
1: like those 2 months i just thought what i really want is to, like, talk to people, and I don't know how anymore. Hmm. So that's how that came about. I found out who I wanted to talk to, and then I shaped that around. So then I just started writing, and that's what happened.
2: hmm
3: and with the shortened timeline, because my regular class is 10 weeks long, so it's three hours once a week, but this is every single day for eight hours a day, what did the week-long workshop do for you that was different from your regular process?
1: It Well, I think the, the biggest thing it did is just made me think about it constantly. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I was thinking about my history class that was still going on, mm-hmm. uh, but other than that i was thinking about the workshop all the time and that just you know it really really fuels the pot in that sense and i think the other thing it did for me is force me to just be totally honest about what was truly on my mind cuz if i was if i tried to lie to myself mm-hmm. example three days in and I tried to lie to myself about what piece I'm trying to write. <laughs> like suddenly I can't find any more ideas about that piece because that's not what I want to write about. Mm-hmm. So it was like st- so stressful in that way. Like I had to <laughs> throw away all these pieces and I think a lot of people had to do that. Um, but it was, it was good in that way because I had to be really honest about it.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Do you have any advice for your fellow artists or for some of the young up and comers or just people in general about following their heart and I think
1: just just write like I don't write enough and if when I do it's great and even if it's not great writing like it's great that I'm writing mm-hmm. and it, if I just write a whole bunch then a little bit of good stuff comes out and I and the other thing is, I think read it to people and and as you say, believe that it's good because I' cause my mom just came home from her like her first class or her second class or whatever from I, the Kim Maxwell studio, and <laughs> she was like, "This is boring, like no one actually cares, but everyone cried. And then I was like, well, doesn't that mean something? Like, that's a great story. I think you have a great story, but you just think it's bad because you think about it all the time. And so that's read it to people, I suppose, Um, and write a lot.
3: Mm -hmm. How did it feel to coach your mom through her first moment in my class?
1: Um, Kind of nice, like Mm -hmm. in a kind of, like, screw you, mom, kind of way. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like... Something I'm, I've done more than you. <laughs> um, but also, like, I, I was happy to. that it made her feel better. And.
3: And then she realized her piece wasn't boring. Right. To the and room. And she
1: realized that she could. that it had a story arc and all that. Mm-hmm. And that if she just wrote a little more on it, it would be great.
3: Any final words before we um, move on to. The end of the show? Um, no. Any shout-outs?
1: Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, they're always the, the normal people who, mm-hmm. who help me on every piece I do. Who Lil- helps you
3: on every piece you do?
1: Lily, mm-hmm. Kim Maxwell, mm-hmm. Noah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We got, I mean, those are the main people who who I really, like, when I go to, I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm, this piece is done now <laughs> and I at the when I wrote this piece
2: mm-hmm.
1: I I went to Noah like every five seconds mm-hmm. I was like Noah I'm having trouble with this now and he's like why would you come to me for that <laughs> like, <laughs> and so him just telling me to like, go write that oh. was what was really helpful and then he gave me pointers and stuff like that, too. So
3: then just keep writing. Write a lot and just keep writing more and find your people and keep writing more after that. Yeah, I suppose so. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming into the studio, my darling. Thanks for having me. I'm
2: from here. Here's the story.
3: We are The Townies, and we are back every other Tuesday with original stories and a glimpse into the creative lives of the real people who wrote them. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio and The Townies, Inc., and we are in the business of connecting people one story at a time. The Townies podcast is produced by Lily Brown, Ken Eros, and me. With studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative & Sound... The townies' theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Holman at the Congress House. Thank you to today's storytellers and music contributors, to every single donor, listener, supporter, to our board of directors, to the people who inspire us and keep us moving forward. Molly Allison, happy birthday. Woody Brown, Cleo Charpentier, Patrick Lashley, Asa Larmont, Olivia Lures, Amarie Segron, April Theriault, Marissa Oots, and so many more. This podcast is made possible in part by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai. And a big shout out to our corporate sponsor, Rabobank. You can find out more about us and today's storytellers at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. When I was a kid, there was a really famous Burger King commercial that went, Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. Oh my yeah.
4: God. What is that from?
3: Uh, I bur- that. Do you remember that? No, 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 no. Special, special
4: orders don't lettuce, upset us? Is
5: so that person a sociopath?
4: <laughs> The person that wrote it?
3: Yeah. I think it was actually, I think Barry Manilow wrote that jingle. He Wait, made what did you say? Dollars. All
4: the pickles, no lettuce.
3: Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't oh, upset oh, us. extra pickles, hold the lettuce. And it was like, have your...
2: <laughs> <That> <laughs> sounds like... your pickle, what was... <laughs> hold your pickle, give me lettuce, all the burgers, don't upset us, what... <laughs>